Hello, I'm Harry Doncaster and this is the Forgotten Book Podcast. In each episode, I will be speaking with a creative to learn more about their process and how fashion or fashion history has affected their creations. I hope you enjoy listening. The debut edition of The Forgotten Book captures a collaboration with my dear friend and fellow CSM graduate Johannes Paul Cronau. It seemed fitting to start this podcast series, our latest venture, by catching up with him. Since starting his label, Johannes has evolved his vision into a global brand, worn by numerous women of note and is stocked exclusively on Netaporter. Today we will discuss his design process and his life in Paris. So, Johannes, hello. Welcome to this episode, or your episode of the Forgotten Book Podcast. Thank you for having me. So, the act of dressmaking and collections focused on process-oriented designs have become the foundation of your label. What about the act of dressmaking interests you? The act of dressmaking before, like, designing is the actual the aspect of craft and um, tradition and knowledge tied into it it's like beyond designing it's like it's the idea of we have been people have been making clothes for the past four or five thousand years and uh, i'm just interested in the dialogue between the fabric and the body and all the options that you can explore in this with maybe more in a more metaphysical way than from a design perspective do you feel like the clothes that you're making are clothes that you're making from the past or you're revisiting the past because it's so focused on dressmaking or do you feel like it's completely separate from anything that's been i think there is i think the foundation of what i'm doing now has been laid in the book that we did together which was the very beginning of me creating my brand and i think all these ideas were really like part of the initial dialogue in order to like manifest some some ideas in what direction I wanted to go and what actually interested me to really want to do my own brand. And obviously now there's always the air and idea of of this very beginning um, still present. But I think obviously the brand develops in a way that is more is more seasonal focused and is more wardrobe focused. But there should be elements of the very initial like raw ideas in each piece still. Many of your pieces are genderless and you've even shot your Spring Summer 20 collection on a male and female model. Where do you begin designing such garments? And I know obviously androgyny is something that is very prominent in everything right now, but do you see it as gendered garments? Or? I, th- I personally, I'm definitely designing generally for women, but I do think there is blurred lines that garments are itself genderless obviously we have a vast selection of slip dresses that are incredibly feminine but there's always i think that the, the main idea about this is really the first collection was called orlando and it played with like virginia Woolf's character of the same book orlando who, who has this kind of like endless life and just changes gender in between and i think it's this kind of like unquestioned playfulness with gender and identity completely set apart of the current discourse that is somewhat heavy and emotionally really loaded and i think i'm really interested in a more fluid and natural and almost like unquestioned way of gender and dressing i think that is why my woman is unquestioning just like kind of oscillating between a very feminine side and tipping into like a very masculine side and I think there shouldn't be that much heavy thought of it we all are not like that one very specific person we all have several identities and I want the brand to 
feed into that flexibility somehow. So more playful. And I like that you bring up Orlando. The movie is something that we both... Love. Yeah, the obsession. <laughs> Tilda Swinton all of a sudden becoming... Oh, what, a man or a woman? I can't remember. No, what she, she starts out as a man and then like changes like in the 18th century into into a woman. Yeah, the dream. What we're all hoping for halfway through our <laughs> <With> lives. 40. <laughs> <laughs> but is it more of a playful interchange? As you say, you're, it's not focused and you're not making a woman consciously or a man consciously. But I think, I think with what I love about that movie and the book is that it just everything kind of just like trots on. It like the change completely happens unnoticed, even it's completely unremarkable to the protagonist. It's even that point of discussion. It's just like she just continues living her life. And I think this is the kind of like we all are evolving beings. And I think we change and we should be open to possibilities and experiences. And I think clothes should should be just like a helpful, playful asset to your mood and your feelings. So you were born into a family of carpenters in the German countryside and stumbled into fashion and dress as a form of kind of transformation at an early age. We've had conversations before about the magic of your dressing up box as a child. True. Can you tell me or tell us a little about this and and your childhood? I think this like dress up box is something that is somehow so present still to me now. And like yesterday at your event, I had this conversation with uh, one of your guests and I think that is exactly what I'm talking about with Orlando and playfulness and that clothes are itself engendered is that you have this box with just hand me down old garments from your grandma from your dad from your mom from your granddad and it just like it just becomes a mix of stuff in a way and you just like then take whatever you emotionally respond to it and you create a blanket a shirt whatever can become coat can become a king's robe can become a tent and I love this kind of aspect and options of just fabric and, and and clothing and fantasy and playing and I think that is also you dress up as a girl you dress up as a boy my family was always just like let me do whatever I wanted like I even went until I was I think six or seven like always just dressed up as as a girl for school and there's always and I think this has been part of my has been part of also wanting to create something that is not too defined and it doesn't give you a too concrete vision that you can't identify with i love that and i love how you bring up dressing up as a girl and it's strangely something that i did at play school i used to dress up as snow white every day and yeah i know i was deep sleeping beauty (laughs) (laughs) amazing disney princesses for life um but the fact that I would, and I'm sure as we've discussed, you dress up and you would do everything normally. You would go run in the park, climb the climbing frame, like play tag or whatever, but just dressed up as this fantasy person. I think that's what's quite exciting, that idea that dress or dressing up doesn't need to be the whole part of it. Having fun is just as important. Exactly. You're just like, and that is what I think also I love. We talk about playfulness somehow really a lot. But I really can't take myself, or I can't, I just don't take fashion too serious for something that like, I hate to get ready for too long. I do love the process of getting ready and, uh, or watching, like I have these memories of my mom and like her girlfriends getting ready. She got me really young, so she was in her early 20s, so I would just always sit in the bathtub and just like, I love the atmosphere of like being half dressed and, uh, but it was always about the fun and the moment rather than like, the actual garments and the actual clothes it was always like it's always a celebration of togetherness and i think that is why like i don't really i never really like something that is like 
too much of a concrete thing because I can't never identify because like if I can't use it or implement it in my daily life, I just have trouble liking it. So you moved to Paris to study fashion design at Parsons. This was your first step into the fashion industry. What was this period of your life and work like? I think it was actually really difficult because I wanted to just get out of Germany. I'm coming from a really, really small town, as you mentioned earlier. And I had this really protected, playful childhood. And I think with 13, 14, when you just realize, okay, the world is a tiny bit bigger. And as a gay teenager, like it was very, like I never had struggled with this. Like it was also always really open in my family. There was just not a lot of options. I wasn't really exposed to anything. So it was really only with 19 when I moved to Paris that I was out of a sudden in a foundation class with kids that grew up in New York, in L.A., in London, in Paris, and they were exposed to so much. It was even like before, you know, you had everything on the palm of your hands with your phone, etc. Like I really was like such a book kid. I was just, I knew everything through reading, but just I felt a bit overwhelmed and I was displaced for so many years. I felt displaced in my hometown. And then like I just finally arrived somewhere and being exposed, but I was completely overrun by it all. It was like too much to process. And I just felt like I was just lacking so much real life experience somehow and exposure. And it took me, I think, three, four years. I think the entire bachelor was just a huge, just a huge constant shock somehow. And it only really, I only felt quite in ease and knowing how to get the hang of things with I think after after I studied and I worked for a couple of freelance things and I eventually moved to Antwerp to intern at Heide Ackermann and ultimately come to London to study for the MA at St. Martins. So I personally only think that I've arrived in a place where I'm just like out of a sudden felt comfortable and confident when I arrived in London. I just like it took me some time to get used to it all. As you mentioned, you went to St. Martin's to do their famed MA. What wouldn't you forget about it? I think nothing or everything. I think these were the most important two years of my life. It's everything that you heard about it, all the horror stories, all the great stories. It's all you see people just rising afterwards it's just it's and being there is just i think most importantly is it's not the tutors it's really the people around you that shape you and you learn from and some people that are closest to me right now i met in the course or i met during that period of time in london and it's just uh, the energy of it all to be really like this is exactly the time and where i need to be right now and that's just like a quite empowering feeling it's exhausting and it's tired and it is tiring and it's a lot of pressure but it's just it's just so good because it's so rewarding to really feel that grateful to be somewhere and to really feel that is exactly what i need right now in terms of input exposure people i loved it so we met when you were on the cusp of starting your label i was privileged to follow the creation of your first collection and the journey of making something for the first edition of the forgotten book what i loved about our book was that we met once a week to look over everything and get to the root of what you were creating or trying to say is analyzing your creations still a big part of your process looking back two years now looking back at it there's a lot that was that kind of naive bold thing that we both started because i think it reminds you in the process like now where you need to like follow specific um schedule deliveries shops buying collection and merchandise plans need to be a certain way 
and you kind of sometimes get a bit overworked and it's just structure that all of a sudden just straps itself strips itself upon you and it's good to have these little like landmarks in your past that you can turn back to and being just like okay even if it was in a really naive unpolished way but what was it that made me try to do this and it's really good to always have these like dialogues and these like reminders of the past like sometimes you look over it and you're like oh geez i was like really like oh god like i really thought like i had it all figured out and i really didn't but then there's always like little little nuggets of truth that you see like yes like that's exactly what i wanted to do and that's what i'm need to focus on again and to not just become some blur but to be like to keep yourself motivated travel is one of your key influences and the internationality of your work is one of the elements that makes it so beautiful what trip has impacted you the most i was so lucky to get a travel scholarship from central st martins by the jon langberg fund to japan just before my final year at central st martin and i actually stretched the budget for six weeks and i just broke up with my really long-term boyfriend and i think two weeks after i set out on that trip by myself and it was so completely life-changing because to be again i've been in so many moments in my life where i just felt completely out of my comfort zone and i needed to then just function and deal with it and that trip to be just in such a genuinely foreign and opposite culture than ours and then by yourself and then being exposed to so many visual like things and everything was just a bit again like quite mind-blowing the cities were beautiful tokyo obviously kyoto i love somehow you just fall into the people that you need to meet i met an amazing indigo dyer who was in the outskirts of kyoto he did these natural like indigo traditional dyes like for thousand years uh techniques and then you meet like weavers that are show you their entire obi collection ranging for 500 years because that is how long that family has been in business and it's just like the scale of things and depth and quality and tradition and knowledge and craft that i've seen was just was really really mind-blowing and one of the most beautiful places i've been was probably um, naoshima which is um an island between the two main bigger islands that is just entirely dedicated to art and owned by an art foundation. I just spent a weekend there and it, like, it was just such a revelation of beauty. And yeah, again, just also the purity of things was just very inspiring. And I think this is also always something that I want to come back to is I don't really like complicated, but I like thought through. And I think what I've been exposed there was just something that was innate and cohesive and in-depth really close kind of universe and that's what i'm trying to do um the bento bag i think is probably a direct inspiration from that trip and you can see elements of your craftsmanship and your patterns still inspire you from from your trip to japan but can you tell me a little bit more about creating a bag that's inspired by a culture rather than inspired by a thing yeah i don't know if it's like it's not really like a bag specified question but I think once you can understand your creative process and once you understand what's important for you, like for instance, cutting is a thing that we always in the studio, we always try to be really respectful to cloth and to actually not, I don't like to dissect cloth too much. I really try to use as much as I can with as little of seams possible. And the banter bag has been just a kind of translation of 
of that we we experimented with bags for yeah a couple of times like all seasons actually and we had like a kind of a bento bento wrap bag that was just incredibly difficult to produce and also not really satisfying in the end because then it just it was the idea was something really really simple but then it turned into like a construction it was incredibly complicated first we always played with the idea of the wrapping part of it and i actually turned to the wood lacquer boxes itself that are geometric rectangular or square and we took this kind of this the polishness of these and the geometry of it to focus then on the inside of the bento or bento box rather than the wrapping around it all these elements are like present in some some other ways throughout the collections we work with to get this kind of sheenness we work with vegetable tan leather that you can mold so we molded the entire bag into shape and then polished so the corners don't have darts for instance and so it's all out of made out of one piece and then we polish it and so it looks like lacquerware and like it's interesting because i always focus so much on the draping and the gesture around that and now it just became this actually quite this like stiff little object that i really love because the the, the amount of just work that manually goes into it with um, stretching and molding the leather is equally satisfying for the process and visually as well yeah it feels like just like a little precious precious object so in a way you dissected every element of a bento box and then reconstructed it into a bag and we yeah we just like played with the options and figured again process is such an important part of it and there was something that then as a result was equally satisfying as maybe my sensation and emotion towards the the bento box idea itself because ultimately it should be something simple digestible with a beautiful quality and detailing but yeah simple ultimately what's your favorite bento meal so there's this amazing japanese little stand in a market in paris which is called the marché des enfants rouges and they have a daily changing menu and i love to pop down there for lunch break during the week and just sit there because it really reminds me of being on a market somewhere in Japan because you just get it afresh the assortment and just care for and the changing menu is just something that I really love at this place so I don't really have a favorite bento meal itself so everything everything in a bento box works for me your now signature double slip dress and oversized gloves are constantly revisited each season how does it feel to constantly re- invent or remix the same garment it's i think it's reassuring and like each brand has their anchors and it's something that gives structure i think i always beyond even the double step dresses uh, or the gloves which we're going to pause for the next season actually because i need to have a breather i think it's nice to have like your personal brand wardrobe and it's really satisfying to see that now after two years to have the confidence to revisit things because there's things that you want to revisit because they worked and they're good and the cut is amazing uh, or satisfying and you're just proud of it and then you just redevelop it because you can always there's always something that you can push for and then there's some things that maybe don't work so well and then you let them go but maybe after like a period of three seasons you look at it again because it's hanging in the corner of your studio and you're just like wait a second like i actually figured it out what can make this better so i think it's like the brand from this very raw beginning as we started out earlier that was like i tried to find definition 
things are coming becoming more defined for me and the more you work the more you have to edit and the more not have to but can edit and just then pieces develop a life on their own and they keep inspiring each other and you just get more ideas with processes and factories and it's just like everything i think it just gets more fun continuously because in the beginning i just like try to grab on something and create something and now that there is so much it's so nice to be able to play with elements coming in and out and inspire the present and or some pieces of the past coming back to your question i think it's nice to always have the kind of some things that keep the collection together and the double slip dresses and the knitwear is definitely something that is a starting point each season Unlike many designers, you name each of your collections. Are the titles referencing the inspirations? It's, I think there's phases where it really comes really evident of what you've been working on or working towards because there have been maybe like one inspiration in the very beginning. But I can tell that in the beginning, like we started out with Orlando because it was a character that I really loved and could identify with. And I thought it was an amazing character to focus on and mood to focus on for you know for the first collection and after that was Valz which is inspired by my carpenter family background where people go on a Valz which means like a journeyman years and they go travel for uh, I think can be like it used to be nine years before coming back to their hometown to to be then a meister a master of their craft and I think yeah that is like what we all doing a bit and but continuously doing and I feel like all these all these ideas Orlando and the idea of like the journeyman or like traveling is like something that just continues feeding in and has there's an aftermath of all these collections still in there the third collection was Voltaire because we we moved in the studio to Paris from London and we started the collection with a quote from Voltaire because I live on Boulevard Voltaire we started a quote with Voltaire, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm on my way, which then plays with this idea of journeyman and traveling and exploring again. And I think that's what we ultimately do and try to do. And I did see I did see Orlando, Orlando Valtz on Voltaire as a kind of triptych. The fourth collection still doesn't have a title because somehow I felt like all these three collections still have an aftermath. I needed this bridge in order to kind of have created a new outlook so there was a lot of digestion in the last season and now we're starting with a very I find I'm really excited about the next the collection we're working on currently for January that has so many elements that I felt that I kind of neglected when I started but I felt that are completely relevant to me that come very much back from my MA collection at CSM and there's a lot of elements that I'm feeling ready now to open the box again of. And we mentioned yesterday, actually, when we were at the launch of the Forgotten Book Masks, that you really believe in trilogies and the importance of those. Do you feel like the name for the fourth collection didn't come because you were starting another trilogy? Yeah, it's very much, I think, I think the last collection has been relevant for us, not in terms of maybe storytelling, but in terms of business uh, it we learned so much through it with our new ventures in retail and i think that was the focus that we then needed to take there was a lot of there was a lot of work in the making the brand and the fourth collection really was the one where we finally arrived 
at a point where we feel now safer in terms of business and finance and all that. And I think that was needed to be focused, which is so relevant, obviously, and which dominates my day to day. But I feel like now I can move on with exploring and having fun again. Yeah. And what I find really interesting is that three years is a is a degree. It's, yeah. And so it's like a degree in yourself. It very much is so, yeah. And also, also I turned 30 this year, end of this year. So I'm so happy to be able to say that I'm happy where everything is right now and with myself and the brand and where my life is. Yeah, the last two years have been incredibly tough, but I'm so happy that the end of the story is that everything in the end worked out. I was really ready to like question my a lot of things and the path I was going this summer, but luckily everything worked out. Solange Knowles has worn your clothes on a number of occasions and your work has covered magazines. How does this impact you? I think Solange is obviously one of the most prominent and suiting personalities, I think, for the brand. She wore the collection we did for the book, which was a kind of an introduction to her meditation performances. That was like after my graduation, this was a kind of an in-between state again in which I experimented with what it is I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And it was amazing to get this kind of immediate response afterwards from such an iconic performer an artist and to then have her coming back for pieces for the past two years each time is just a huge compliment but it was more important in that very moment than actually editorials i learned not to get confidence or happiness out of magazine cover because if it comes amazing if solange wore something amazing super super good but that is not what should feed your ambition and your happiness in your work Instagram and your digital presence are beautifully curated. It's a constant hustle. <laughs> What's your relationship with technology? I think obviously Instagram is an amazing platform and I wish I would be a bit more, a little bit more carefree with it sometimes. I think right now we crafted this beautiful world, but I think what would be nice and what I'm working on right now is to how to make it a bit more because everything is so incredibly personal and everything is so close to me. Everything is created in my own studio in which I also live in. And it's really like we are a small family and I wish sometimes I would be able to naturally share that and find a way visually how to bottle and share it. By the end of the day, I'm just like, oh God, I'm just going to do this post and done with it. Like, don't even like bother me with anything else. Because there's always so many things going on. But I would love to have this kind of communal sense of like family that we have a bit more. And to give more of an insight of like what's actually happening. Stories are an amazing tool for that. For me, because ultimately Instagram feels so personal that I can't really give it away. Or want to give it away for someone who just curates it. I want this to be really like we're expanding, we're getting bigger and there's so much thought about styling and shows or like lookbooks and everything and and I feel like Instagram is really the one thing that I'm that is still the very personal link to me and hence I would like it to also appear more personable. So more of a window into your reality rather than a shop window? A fantasy exactly and I think of just like to have yeah to have a more to have a more personal connection and 
because everything seems just incredibly precious right now, which it is. But because I'm not that precious at all as a person, I'm actually quite a mess sometimes. And I think that should, as I said, I don't like some things that just seem exclusive. And this is what I want to work on visually with our art direction a tiny bit or storytelling that it shouldn't be that precious, even if it is. Your studio in Paris is beautiful and you've got a great team around you. How would you describe your workplace? Do you all listen to music together? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you just chat? I have an amazing assistant who's taking so much work off me in terms of production and sampling and dealing with factories and organizing the studio. We usually have one to two interns, so that's our quite day-to-day. So we're like three to five people in the studio. And usually I kind of, because I invite people over to my house ultimately, so I try to keep it quite casual. It still feels quite homey in a way. Um, I try to keep the studio quite clean and empty because I don't like to have too much distraction and stuff and visual noise around. We kind of just move in between... It really depends on where we are because sometimes we're like just listening to lots of like new radio stations. But I do prefer to have a quiet, active and fun mood. Like I'm not I'm not putting on some Wagner or <laughs> Handel and like it's all like very spiritual and quiet and we're just listening to classical music. I personally, if I work, because usually I'm just organizing lots of stuff during the day. So when everybody left or leaves in the evening, I'm feeling much calmer and I can like focus on things like design. I prefer to do that myself or in quiet listening to spoken words like podcasts or audiobooks or even radio stations. So or I've like signed up for this like thing Great Courses Plus, which is like you just listen to just lectures. Oh. And so I really love this mood of draping and listening to the Mesopotamian Empire. <laughs> What's your favorite lecture that you've been listening to? It's called The Other Side, and it's a lecturer who goes through basically the entire course of civilization and talks about because we always know about like the kings lived like this and the nobility lived like this, and like the history has been made by all these great names and and people we can still track down who are documented. And their lifestyle but he kind of talks and introduces about the kind of day-to-day of the normal the common people who are like maybe middle or even working class um, back then and like how does a reality look for a slave how look a reality for a housekeeper all these things like in the roman empire and it's yeah it's just interesting so scrolling through Instagram in the 17th century or something. Exactly. Amazing. <laughs> Sounds like I quite I would enjoy this. I'd have to listen to it. Fashion collaborations are more prominent each season and the film industry are utilising designers for their costume departments. Would you be interested in dressing a movie? I think so. I think because I feel this is definitely, I mean, speaking of collaboration itself, but like this is such would be so fun with our stylist Alessia Vanini who is, I think, such an, who has so much potential for moods and uh, who's so sensitive. And I'm very, I think I'm just sometimes stubborn and like I'm really good at just doing my own thing. And I always feel really stressed when people have expectations on me and then I need to deliver something. So I think this would be amazing, an amazing communal thing to do with her is the first thing that I would have to think of 
because I feel otherwise I'm just delivering something and maybe they're not happy with it and that would really frustrate me. So I would need quite a tight, tight frame to work in. I just saw Rick Owen's um, opera or ballet he did the costumes for, which was absolutely dreamy and iconic. And I look at it and I'm always immediately stressed and like thinking, oh my God, if I have to do something like this, I feel like being at school again and somebody's going to judge me really hard. <laughs> Hence, I, I would love collaborations, but I feel context of theater, theater performs and movie is really stressful for me. I would love to do it because it would be so fun to play with these options, but it's definitely, I would feel more comfortable working on a product with maybe another, I don't know, with whatever house, shoe, sportswear, I don't know. I do, I do feel like there's way more development time and I can then deliver a product that people can relate to and have fun with. I feel the pressure to create an iconic image. I'm quite like, have a lot of respect for that. And I'm, I would be a bit scared, but I would be very happy to do it. I'd like to see that theatre production. Did the Rick Owens production feel like it was Rick Owens clothes? Yeah, 100%. Okay. Like, I mean, it was gigantic, it was beautiful. Because I think, like, what Raph does in I Am Love and... Yeah, I had to think about The Biggest Splash, it's not... You're not seeing Raph as yeah. a designer. I mean, that is so... I love, love uh, Taylor Swinton in A Bigger Splash because I think she... And also the kind of, like, the nonchalance of the summer and the just the lingering around the pool and there's just, like, just having then these huge beautiful dior shirts just worn as a dress and like there's like there's definitely so much thought into wardrobe and the context that these clothes has been designed for but then completely reused and reimagined in the film mm. kind of more like holiday wear even though like some of the pieces are meant to be like more cosmopolitan kind of fancy dinners so i love this kind of play of like reusing these really fancy things and just casual context yeah. And I think it's been really beautiful. Same with like I Am Love. It's a dream. And I think what's quite interesting is that in some ways the clothes the clothes Raph is making for these movies is in some ways a lot more wearable and accessible than the clothes he actually makes. And so it's quite fun to see something that could be so fantastical is so much more real. Yeah. Obviously also it helps to see them not as a complete look, as a fashion look, but to see them worn as garments and yeah. again like in context that you wouldn't see it in an ed- editorial or a in a in a fashion shoot or fashion show even so i love that aspect coming back to the playfulness of it and i think that can costume can be that and that aspect of showing clothes that is maybe out of context in a certain situation just before we bring this episode to a close and come on to the forgotten book podcast questions We haven't delved deeply into our book and how it was the beginning for both of us and how real and beautiful this project was. But what I wanted to ask you is, would you be able to do it again? Do you think you could do it again? I think so. I would actually be very happy to do it because right now we are, because we're entering such a new phase in our, the brand and where the business is going. And I'm actually, we're like really looking at everything even like copywriting. So how can I have something that I feel really comfortable with? So I, th- I think that it's just a continuation of the kind of like awareness we try to we try to look at ourselves and to understand what we are doing. And I think it's just a constant refresher of this. And I think if you keep this, 
novelty and excitement that you have for these things and this awareness that you're actually putting something out each time that you're actually putting something out and not just like go on default mode mm. i think it's just a continuation how we how we started out to never take anything as a status quo but to always try to like look at what you're actually putting out and say is this really what i want to say and this is this something that needs to be said or should i just say it or not like does it make a difference I think in this world that is so over polluted with not polluted but just like there's just so much stuff out I always try to have a considerate voice to know my place and explore within that and always make sure that I stay and feel relevant to what I have to say and never fall back into a default setting of just say oh well that's just what I'm doing now I guess so in a way you've not really stopped working without the understanding that you could document it or yeah, to rephrase well, it, you kind of, you're still making a book in a way. Uh, yeah, I mean, making a collection, making a book, making making a presentation ultimately will show up on a feed or printed or in some other context. So yeah, you need to be aware of each thing you're putting out and like how you curate it and that you understand what you're doing. The last past two years have been, there were moments where I just felt stressed about things that I should be doing and then I did that and I was like looking back I was just like I know why I didn't like it because I couldn't figure out my own way of doing it but now with all a lot of experience and like just having done things for three four times now again everything is just evolving and it's nice that some ideas you really like strongly believed in are maybe transforming into something else and then becoming a bit more deepened and I think that is a beautiful thing of having a brand the same with having working with books that I'm also obsessed with is that you can probably edit the same book a hundred times and it always could be different, but you yeah. could do this forever. Yeah. And I feel that's a bit what I'm doing. Yeah. Sometimes we have the same in- image for the past three collections on the mood board and it will always be there, but the reference that we're getting out of it are always different. Yeah. And I, we work with a lot. I don't work with a lot of online research. It's more like I'm just finding a staple of books and I'm going through it and there's always a certain mood that I'm picking up. I can go through the same book for four collections and never change my inspiration. And it will always be completely different. Yeah. Amazing. So now on to the three forgotten podcast questions. Are you forgetful? Terribly so, yes. But I'm not forgetful of the important things, I think. Like, I forget stuff like birthdays. I cannot <laughs> forget, uh, remember birthdays to save my life. And I'm always really sorry but I just do not remember birthdays, but I will remember probably every single night we went out together and everything we laughed about and everything that was like silly and stupid. What's your first fashion memory? It's multiple, but I think they're all linked to my mum. I think she herself dresses quite minimal, but she always was interested in so many things. And and so this is like, I think anything with my mom, like the, the, watching those VHS shows, watching and always feeling like, oh, I'm looking at something really new now. For sure. And the final question, what are you reading right now? I am reading. I'm really, really um, sorry. I'm not actually currently reading anything. Are you listening to anything on Audible? The thing with reading is I really enjoy reading in German. There's a lot of really good, there's a really, really good German books. And I think this is the only, this is one of my, um, this is one of my links that I'm feeling really home and cozy. And yeah, at home is like just reading German because there's something about reading and being really with yourself. And there's a numerous books that I love. There's one that's called Die Kieferninsel, which means like Pine Tree Island. 
it's about a guy who dreams about his wife slept with someone else and he like gets such enraged that he just like cannot get over it and on his way to work he decides to go to the airport and then just like the first flight he just gets is like to japan so he travels through japan and he just on the first day he finds um a suicidal kid who always like tries to kill himself on like really kind of special suicide spots in japan so but he always prevents the guy to kill him because like ultimately when they're just about to do it he's always like yeah but we can do better so they're going to the next spot that way they're traveling through japan and you're kind of reading about you know that way through culture from a different aspect yeah so that was that sounds great i want to read that it's it's so so marian poschmann the kiefern insel it's such a good book i was really this is like it's just quite small it's a really quick read but i really enjoyed it and then i really enjoyed less by andrew greer who won the pulitzer last year and then there is Hanya Yanagihara, who I really love too. So these were like, I think, in the past year, the ones that I enjoyed the most. Well, thank you, Hannah, for joining us on this episode of the Forgotten Book Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today on our first episode of the Forgotten Book Podcast. Stay tuned for more conversations. To find out more about our publication with Johannes following the creation of his debut collection, head to our Instagram at The Forgotten Book or our website www.theforgottenbook.co.uk.